0: You're listening to Legends Cast, a proud member of the Camp Legend Podcasting Network. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash camplegend. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, the season four of the Starter Set. My name is Mark or the Lift, and I help from outside of Pittsburgh, PA. And with me today is my legendary, never faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd, and my catastrophically creative and eternally optimistic co-host, Gibbles and Bits. TBN, we're gonna start it off with you today, brother. How you doing today, man?
1: Hanging in there, man. Doing pretty good. Um, you know, uh, chill weekend, ready to uh, get back into the uh, the the regular flow of uh of the week, but um yeah, really enjoying Wild Frost. I mean, I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. I guess we're supposed to talk about the other games we're playing or, you know, just shoot. <laughs> what's the going shit, on in but, our lives. But yeah. Wild <laughs> Frost has been awesome. Been playing a lot of that. Been playing some Pokemon Unite with the boys. Uh and boys. uh also trying to knock out some of the last few, you know, things I want to get done for Destiny before the next season, which I think is gonna bring a ton of really cool changes and like uh I don't know what the like you know seasonal activity or anything's going to be yet. I think there's some leaks and I think there's some spoilers and stuff, but I've just been reading some of like the weapons updates and like some of the balance related things they're doing and it's like this looks awesome and I'm here for it.
0: Bro, we gotta we gotta get I gotta get back on and play. I thought you like I didn't know you were playing still. I haven't played much in the well, last Well,
1: I didn't get a lot of time to play, especially when I was like really sick for that like three, four week span. And then I was traveling, like once I got better. So like I haven't had a lot of time to play, but I I, I logged on yesterday and played for several hours and was just like, Yeah, I'm I still lo- I'm still loving this and I think this season I also wanna like knock out a lot of like the weapon patterns and, like, collect those. Um, I'm not much of a collector of other things. I'm also not a power grinder, but I do like to be able to craft cool weapons, and so I've been trying to collect the patterns for that.
0: Well, I collected all the patterns and I did power grind my characters, which is what made me sort of like lose interest sort of like the seasonal activity storyline sort of Mm -hmm. stopped after week Mm -hmm. four or five. And so haven't really had much of a reason to get back on and play the same stuff. But what I did do this week was finish Pokemon Arceus Legends and start Pokemon Violet. Oh, nice. Um, And uh, I will say this. So two things. Arceus Legends was way better than I thought it was going to be. Um. (laughs) If you're going in looking for a Pokemon Breath of the Wild mixture, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what this game no. is. It is a it, however, I do think it is the most ambitious thing that the Pokemon mainline RPGs have done since Soul Silver and Heart Gold. And may, it may maybe. be more ambitious than Soul Silver, Heart Gold. You know what it you know maybe.
1: We talked about this a little bit and you you held off on it. I think part of why you liked it is because you had lower expectations for it. I'm just guessing here. Um, maybe.
0: Yeah, I I I fully expected to dislike the game. Yeah.
1: And the thing is is it has so many components that are promising. I think the big the big thing for me with uh Arceus Legends uh is it had so many empty parts. There're so many areas where like this game would be great if they had bothered to flesh this out. This game would be so great if when you go to the, you know, uh, the other towns that is not the the main hub, if they actually had things to do like, yeah, the game felt the game principles were great until you realize that it's a shell and that like you can enjoy the mechanics and you can enjoy the story. The story wasn't bad, but in terms of an RPG, it really was like pretending to be an RPG And instead, it was a collection game. It's a collection game pretending to be an RPG.
0: There's some truth to that. I did enjoy it. I think maybe it was just the right space at the right time for me, too, Mm -hmm. where it was just like it was sort of the perfect game to play real casually in my study, grab my Switch, sit on the couch, put something on TV, and just go around and throw pokeballs at stuff, mm-hmm. and actually ended up finding that enjoyable, and found some of the exploration and the non like super linear storyline of battle eight gyms, go to the elite four, you're done with the game. Um, there was some things that were actually genuinely surprising to me in it that I didn't expect. So I got some closing quests, uh, extra stuff to wrap yeah. up. And uh, the thing about Violet is I've I'm like literally <laughs> just in the beginning of it. Like mm-hmm. I booted up, haven't picked my partner yet. Mm. Um, but what I really enjoyed is the character customization that's in Violet. Yeah, it's is not like, bad. M- it's so much better than I mean, it's you know, it's pale in comparison to a lot of other games. But it is so much better than any Pokemon that we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, the it only is the best.
1: The only problem is, is that so you can make your character look however you want, like from like a you know facial and eyes and what what not. But then Legends Arceus had all these amazing outfits you could
0: put on. Yes,
1: and you don't get that in. Violet. Oh, there
0: are no outfits in. There's Violet like at all.
1: No, there's only. You basically have to always be wearing one of four school uniforms, and then the only things you can change are like your gloves, glasses, and backpack, and and hat.
0: Yeah, that's disappointing. Right, that's
1: especially disappointing. when you had all these incredible outfits that you could wear in. Um, yeah, in uh, in RCS. So yeah. yeah, this is a not a Pokemon review podcast, but we ended up we ended up getting reviewing that. it.
2: Gibby how
0: about you man how are you doing what have you been playing
2: I was patiently waiting my turn for my intro also because I had (laughs) nothing to to add to that conversation about Pokemon Arceus and on all of that but I'm doing well man and I think I'd be remiss since I don't think I got to mention this during the time period that you guys were doing the Pokemon uh, TCG that I followed through on my promise and I am playing Destiny now as well I said I would do it and I did. Are you and continuing
0: to? I didn't know if you you started, but then was just kind of like, eh, not for me.
2: Well, similar to DBN, I've had um a, a really busy month worth of travel and including him coming to visit me, which surprisingly we didn't play any any during that time because we were out uh partaking in the lar- world's largest bouncy house. Yes. I'm not kidding. It was um, very cool. It was it was adults only and it was a blast, uh, along with other fun things we went out and did. And during that weekend, I'll highlight this. Um, we got to go to a really cool board game bar that I know we've talked about uh, called Board to Beers. Anybody I think we talked who... about that last week, Gibby. Did we? We did. Yeah, yeah we did. Did we, we talk about One Key? Uh, we didn't talk no. about that game, no. That's the one I wanted to highlight. Oh, is yeah. It, is, is that One Key? We talk about the board games that we like playing and things like that. Um, if you're ever looking for a cooperative game and to any of our listeners, uh, One Key is a really good one. It's a really good accessible, if you've ever played Mysterium, it's similar to Mysterium in that there's like an omnipotent like person behind the screen who's trying to direct the rest of the party to mind read what they're putting in front of the table. I
0: dig that via it's like better.
2: clues, but it's better. It's yeah. a little bit less nuanced and a lot easier to understand. There's an app that pairs with it that is really easy to navigate too on um, that you put on the table so i we burned through a bunch of rounds of that yeah we played like when six we were rounds. there and that was really fun Yeah. so and that came from a suggestion from one of the employees there so that was really cool um yep but yeah have been playing some destiny been playing some pokemon unite similar to, to my bot lane bro dbn yep and uh also a lot of wild frost i'm really excited to talk about yeah wild frost, wild frost has
1: been i've been booting it up um pretty much every day um
0: And doing runs and and failing, but we'll get into that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot to talk about in Wild Frost, and we are in week two of this basically brand new uh, card game that just came out. Um, And so if you haven't checked it out, listen to our last episode. We go over a quick review of the card game as a whole, um, but it is a roguelike deck builder, um, not unlike things like Slay the Spire. Although we do a tremendous, uh, we spent a lot of time in last episode really outlining the differences between this and Slay. And so we're not going to get super into that this episode. We're going to talk more about like the actual strategies and the factions and the locations and really get into some of the more uh, like substance of the game itself. And the next episode, we'll talk about some like more in-depth strategy stuff and game things that we're discovering as we're playing. But there's no doubt. I did not think that I would play this game a ton. Uh, and I keep finding myself, although I'm kind of I'm bored with other games. I don't know what that says about this one, but I am bored about with most of my games right now but I am finding that when I boot this up I just don't stop playing for like a really long time like I just I get into it and I just cannot detach myself from it um and before we dive into each of our experiences with Wild Frost this week um I want to point out that I found out this over the course of the last time when I was streaming it that this is a two person dev team um like two people developed this game wow that's impressive is, pretty freaking impressive because it does not feel like an unpolished two-man project Mm -mm. i mean it feels very if anything
1: one of the things i really like about it is the polish
0: yes i I mean it's just done so whimsically and also absolutely brutal um (laughs) but it made sense as to like i was like kind of curious like i i beat the game the first time. I completed a run um since last we recorded. And I thought to myself, man, it doesn't feel like there's a lot here. Um, I was wrong. There's tons of replayability in this game, and I'm still unlocking things. But at first, I was like that, and that's when someone said, Well, it is a two-person dev team, and they are gonna put out updates and new content. it's like, okay, that helps a lot, it makes a lot more sense. DBN, tell us about your week in uh in Wild Frost. Uh, you know, where have you gotten? What have you unlocked? That sort of stuff.
1: Sure, yeah. So I, uh, so Gibby and I had played it together, um, and had kind of gotten like cleared the first run, um, where you get, you know, you complete the, you beat the, I think frost guardian or whatever it is at the beginning and then go back to town. Um, and we had done that together. And so I had to kind of get caught up (laughs) on my own account. Uh, and so I think I might be a little bit behind you guys. Um, But no, I have unlocked. um, I've beaten the Frost Guardian the first time. I have unlocked um, all three factions. I've unlocked three pets. Uh, I've unlocked a couple, you know, inventions and some uh, uh, one or two companions. So, like, I've been and part of what's fun is that you can go into that run looking at the quests you have. And sort of make some decisions in order to, like, fulfill those little, you know, town quests, which has been fun. Yes. I have not yet uh, uh, defeated or uh, completed a second run. Um, And it's interesting. I've been close. But what happens is I, uh, I have made the mistake of multitasking.
0: Oh, and bad choice in this game, the, the,
1: because and it's funny. It baits you into it because at the beginning, you know, you feed, you, you fight the penguins, uh, you know, or the whatever the little. Uh, hey, they're it, tough. Well, they they're they're, <laughs> they're interesting, uh, but you can usually <laughs> take down the first you know half of a run without really focusing too hard, right? But the second half of a run will punish you if you are not fully focused on it. Um, Absolutely it will. And I have a few uh very big face palmy moments where I was in control of a game and then just like tried to, you know, put the put it down, you know, answer a text message or write an email and then boom, I clicked go without having read anything and then uh killed myself. So yeah. Uh, what I
0: found what I have found of this game is like one of the more punishing pieces of it is just the fact that um like it's there's so event it, the further you go and the more allies that you get out on the board like the more information there is to track
1: yeah mm-hmm. and it
0: it I'm not going to say that it's oppressive but there there comes the point where there is a lot of information to keep track of all well this. And, and usually it time. will be
1: centered around like there'll be one or two turns within every single match or every single, you know, fight where there'll be like one turn where for whatever reason, all of the countdowns sort of coalesced around this one turn. And you're like, okay, crap, six things on the enemy side are hitting in different ways and different people. And you have to rearrange your rows. You have to determine Do I want to redraw or play something in my hand? What would I likely get? Do I freeze something? Do I, you know, um, sacrifice one of my characters here. Do I send one back to the deck so it doesn't get killed? You have all of this to sort of work through. And on one hand, it's cool because you can sit there and say, This will hit this for this amount. And it's all, all the information is visible. There's no RNG elements that are going to screw you up. But I think, and, and this is where, like, I think I really like this compared to Slay the Spire and I know we keep comparing it, but that's because it's the closest comparison. I think I like this better than Slay the Spire for those really crunchy turns because a lot of Slay the Spire has those uncontrollable elements of like, I'm drawing into my deck X number of cards and what if I don't get the thing I'm looking for, right? For the Mm -hmm. most part, your whole turn, if you want to draw cards, it's your whole turn or you already have the bell and it's one thing, you know, so you can see everything and you can really just sort of try to work your way out of the whatever situation you're in. It's you, you know, all the agency is in your hands. And since you're only ever really playing one card in many ways, like it takes some of the less fun sort of decision-making away. Uh, but you know, where like in slay the spy, you're like, I'm going to play 11 cards and the order of every single one of them matters in this situation. Yeah. It, it, it like, there's a lot to keep track of. The decisions are important, but it does not feel so, I don't even want to say overwhelming, but exhausting. Sometimes Slay the Spire would feel exhausting because you always had to be going like, what order do I play this and what order do I play that and for every single turn. Unfortunately, the main thing you have to keep track of is like, where am I moving my units and what like setup do I want them in? And I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, that part of the game is probably my favorite. It's like moving them between the rows and putting some of them in front and, you know, moving one to the back strategically. I just, I find it incredibly appealing.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think that that is, I think that that is definitely a really interesting and fun part of the game. And I've had a really good week with it. I found a couple of combos that I really liked, unlocked a couple of things. I at this point have beat the last enemy. Uh, One time, and I have been completely and totally incapable of getting back to him. Um, to be able to clear again, uh, I I do keep hitting some walls. It's like very interesting. Depending on the assortment of enemies that you come up against, man, you can be in a really good situation because you got fury and you went for a fury build. You could be in a which allows you to attack multiple times when you trigger. And in other scenarios, you really do not want fury because it will absolutely destroy you. Um, depending on which enemy you're up against, and I've just had that experience over and over again. But I have found that I just keep coming back to the game and there's a faction that i really enjoy now i'm gonna get in a couple of minutes to the actual um like the actual uh uh individual like the locations that you can go to on the map and like how those things actually augment your deck and change your deck But before i do that gibby tell us about your week in uh in wild frost what was your what was your experience like
2: yeah, my week in Wild Frost uh, has been good. It's, I have made a lot of progress. Like Ian said, uh, when he came to visit me in in Memphis, we it was when we were initially kind of booting up the game and kind of navigating and learning the game, and we stacked together quite a run. Um, and we defeated the first kind of round of of the the shadow boss at the end. Um, and it has been a tough. It was, I'll say, was as a spoiler. It was a very tough run to surmount. Um, because at the end of that run, like I, we just had a combination of some very beefy followers. That uh, for those listening and are not maybe understanding what I'm, what I'm talking about, when you beat a run, the the c- combination of followers and the champion that you beat the run with now become the new boss at the end of your next run that you have to defeat every time you go into the game. So it increasingly gets, gets harder and harder to beat the game. And I got really close one time and forgot that after you crack the shell, essentially get rid of the health pool of the the final boss, that then the shadow darkness soul fiend, whatever it is, comes out. And he's got a whole new health pool. So I basically went aggro and punted a bunch of damage into the into the boss. And then he broke his shell and had this big health pool again. And I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And I lost the run because of that. But I have beaten the boss twice now, uh, including the first run the DBN and oh, I did. Nice. Um, and I've gotten a lot of the the places unlocked uh, in the town and I've started kind of looking at specific quests. I'm about to try to, about to unlock unlock the fourth follower uh that you can get the fourth pet, I should say, uh option. I'm I'm one away from from the for- fourth pet. And I'm starting to look at some of the charms quests up top that you can unlock because that seems like a really interesting um, kind of quest thing to to look at and um, try to tackle some of those because you'll unlock those for the game. And I really do think that charms are a really fun aspect to be able to add on to some of your, your uh, companions and followers as you're going through runs. So I'm going to try to knock some of those out here soon.
0: Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how the game is played. If you've played games like this before, you will be familiar with the basics of how the game is going to go. You're going to get um, your base set of cards and then throughout the game you're going to be able to build a larger and larger deck of cards and add cards to your deck throughout and then augment those cards and then also be able to pick up these things called charms as you make well I guess they're called bells, they're called bells not charms, um, as you make your way through and beat the bosses. Um, it's going to be tier three times, there's going to be two bosses and then an end boss with a handful of battles and locations that you can pick up new things in between each of those bosses so you'll have these sort of smaller battles which you will learn over time because they do become at least a little bit familiar and then eventually you'll you'll make your way up and you'll get Uh, you know, more and progressively harder and harder things that are harder and harder to get to. Um, And I'm going to go over a couple of locations that you're going to find kind of along your journey and what those things do. And we'll talk about each of our favorite ones, uh, what we like. So outside of the battle locations and the boss locations, you also have a bling snail cave, which is going to be a location you're going to go to. It's literally just going to give you money, which should not be underestimated because of the shop that we're going to talk about in a little bit. You also have locations called Frozen Travelers that you have to click on. And it smashes open a block of ice, and it gives you one of three travelers that can add to your party, keeping in mind that until you pick up the bell to expand your party limit, you can only have three followers in your party at a time or in your deck at a time. Um, You can also go to treasure locations, which are going to give you a selection of three cards, none of which will be allies, and you can add one of those cards to your deck, and as you get further in, it will unlock new cards that are available at those locations you can also go to a charm which will open up basically what looks like a like a I don't know like a as like a frozen aztec temple uh, gumball machine I guess and uh <laughs> and you get this little charm out which is an ability that you can attach to one of your cards that is going to augment that ability and those things could range from bonus health or armor for one of your allies through fury, making your card ability go off twice, enhancing that card's ability, um, reducing the amount of time it takes for your allies to count down and attack, um, augmenting tons and tons and tons of different things about your cards can all be done through these charms. And each card is capable of holding three charms. And throughout a run, I think you might get an average of you know five or six charms, maybe at most seven or eight, depending on what you do at these little shops, which we'll talk about in a moment. Along that, you also get something called Muncher, and Muncher allows you to destroy two cards from your deck, which is literally just Nunu from League of Legends. It has I mean, it is an abominable snowman with a person on its head um, that you can pick up. And then uh, there are some additional ones that you can unlock as well, which I'll get into in a minute, but maybe one of the most important ones, and help me guys if I'm missing anything. I don't think that I am is the Wooly Snail, uh, which is this little shop that you can go to and you can spend money at, which will give you a selection of cards, one of which will be discounted, and a charm bank that you can use multiple times, but every time you use it, it will increase the cost that you're going to spend there. But maybe the most important thing in the game at these shops is a crown, and they are 80 money, uh, 80 credits or whatever, snail shells, whatever you're picking up, um, and each one allows you to assign another card to start in your opening hand, which keeps in mind, these things go on the board or affect the board before the game actually starts. So you can play out, if you have three cards with crowns on them, you can play out your leader and three other cards to set up your board before the opponent gets the ability to tick anything down or add more things to the board. No rounds are going to pass with these crowns. They're extremely important, incredibly powerful, and basically, the best avenue through which to break the game. You can also pick up a charm dealer. Unlock a charms dealer, um, which is a new location on the map. It's like a like a, a goat herder or something that has a card available and then usually three charms. You could buy any of those three charms, but you know what they are before you purchase them. There is a gnome traveler who I guess, I haven't actually met him yet. He gives you something free. and it could be bad for you <laughs> that's that's all i really know about it um and then also i think the shade person is an unlocked one which allows you to duplicate a card in your deck but it's not going to allow you to duplicate one of your allies just keep in mind if you really buff one of your allies it's going to allow you to duplicate one of the other additional cards in your deck whether that's a piece of scrap which you unlock the gnome faction or something else the last little tidbit of things is when you beat a boss, you get the opportunity to grab one of three bells. One of the bells increases your hand size by one. Another one increases your ally limit by one in your deck. And the last one uh, reduces the cooldown on your redraw ability by one. And You're going to get two of those bells before you face the last boss. So you will not be able to get all three of them. So it kind of gives you an idea about, I, I really think, did I capture all of the various things? Did I miss anything, guys?
2: I think you hit everything. Um, you got the bling snail c- uh, cave.
0: That was my first one. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you hit everything. Um, not that I can. I can't think of anything that you've missed. Okay. Awesome. Well, then let's talk a little bit about these. We're not going to get into full
0: detail about them all. They're pretty self-explanatory when you hear them. Um, but uh, DBN, we'll start with you again um what are the locations have you found like the wow that's definitely the one i want to go to or have you found to be the most useful which ones have Mm -hmm. like what is kind of in your strat bin because i need to make mine better
1: yeah so i always try to get a frozen traveler as early as possible and so the reason being is if you, you the companions you have are going to be like heavily like influence the synergies that you'll want to pick up from other places where you have choices the thing is is that especially as you like advance the game you get way more you open up way more options for companions as you unlock more factions and whatnot and so the idea being like in my mind this is at least how i've been approaching it pop to the like the closest frozen traveler sometimes even two frozen travelers if you get an option to go to two in a row and then basically hunt for ones that have synergies so whether that is okay these give peppers to everything okay well that's great if these things give peppers to everything the next time later in the run that I go to the woolly snail I'm looking for any cards that they have for sale that will help with my synergies for peppers or for shells or for whatever the you know the the synergy you have is and sometimes you'll be given a bunch of uh of companions that don't Do much for you, or maybe just don't synergize super well. But that's okay because if you know that right out the gate, you don't go over to the um uh to the treasure pile and start picking up mushroom related cards, only to find out that you go to the frozen travelers and no one, none of your companions care about mushrooms, right? So I much prefer, and in the situation where you have a very you know um disparate grouping of of companions. One, you can keep going back for more companions because you can cycle them in and out of the deck as needed. So I've had runs where I had like six companions and I would like shape the deck and and pull some of them in and out because they're, you know, you don't have to delete a card um, just because you hit your companion limit. You can um promote them up and and keep the other one like on the bench or or out of the deck, so to speak. So uh I I think that that, that has always been my go-to strategy. I tend to not really um, go to charm dealers super early in the run because the temptation there is going to be to put the charm on something that is likely a, a starting card and that may not actually mm. be good. But the flip side is you can't... If you either put it on something that's maybe not, like, not very good because it's just a base card... And then it doesn't do much throughout the rest of the run. Or you go to the charm dealer and then you hold on to it for for forever. But in the immediate term of like fighting the first boss or two, you will you will be missing out on an entire encounter worth of power. So I I typically avoid charm dealers until like later in the run if I can. And sometimes you can. Sometimes you'll always get a charm, but that's kind of my um maybe charm dealer is not the term. It's the charm.
0: It's lottery just charm. the yeah the charm lottery that you could get yeah um How ah, that's really interesting how okay the ones that you avoid uh because i've been like i've definitely gone more heavy in trying to get charms that's like 100 percent in my strat. uh like they're very on.
1: strong it, it's just you either have be. to you either have to equip it to something suboptimal or sit on it for a long time until you find something that it makes sense for which isn't uh, it's agreed you, yeah, it isn't always wrong. Sometimes you, you're like, well, I have all my companions already. doesn't matter. Let me go get a charm. And if it's not great, I'll sit on it. No worries. But uh, And then the other thing is, in my opinion, I, this is just, maybe there's a, a, a way better Wild Frost player than me that would yell at me for this, but I think you always want to save 80 money. You always want to have 80 coins all the time so that when you go to the Wooly Snail, you can get a crown. Because the crowns, Allow you to um, pick a card in your deck that will start in your opening hand, and that you get to play before the battle begins, which is huge when you start getting followers that synergize or companions that synergize, as well as certain like setup cards that are normally low tempo things that will buff their attack or reduce their cooldowns, or you know give them peppers or whatever it is, or 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 um you know items that'll go on the board and buff other things. That's especially true for like the, uh, the, the, I guess, gnome faction or the tinkering faction. And so mm-hmm. it feels like um, you always want to hold on to 80 coins. And anytime you visit the Woolly Snail, get a crown. Because by the time They're you huge. get to the, the boss, you need to be able to set up. You can't spend your first three turns setting up or you will die.
0: Yeah, that's hundred percent action. Those crowns are really important. Gabby, how about you? What is your experience been so far with like the shops, especially those int- those, you know, opening ones? Which ones do you like? Which ones have you kind of shied away from?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm full on board with the crowns. Uh, I think that is a great thing to do. I think that's been the linchpin of a lot of my runs, is that um is is the shop that you get as you're going through runs. Like that's what I look for. And there I will intentionally if i don't have a whole lot of money i will intentionally kind of really regardless of whatever's on the other side of the other path because yet a lot of times after you get through a battle you get two paths to be able to choose from i will go to the other path knowing that they're i'm better off not wasting a stop in the shop because i'm not going to have enough money either for a crown or most likely something that is going to be valuable added to my deck it's not going to i'm not just going to add something just to say that i did it um Early on, I think some of the earliest choices um with your companions or whatever it is, or the um the animals that you add. The pets. Pets yeah. are the work. Uh, oh,
0: okay, those those introductory pets, like yeah. the ones that you get just
2: starting out. Yeah. Um, I think I've in a lot of cases almost entirely always gone snoof, uh, because of the the, the snow. The snow effect is so good. Yeah that i think it has enabled me to at least get past the first um spot or two where i can then if i really want to start choosing to add more companions and i don't have a problem benching the pet at that. that's point. a great point that's a really it's great like, point gibby i totally it's agree. like it's though there are have been runs where i've gotten i pick a champion i've picked a pet and then I, like if they just didn't jive and it wasn't Snoof maybe it was Snoof it doesn't matter but like I've got I've had plenty of runs where like okay bad luck of the draw or maybe I didn't get a good synergy here this this run is kind of dead but I've hedged my bets picking Snoof more often where it's it's allowed me to get into the middle parts of my runs and then really start branching off from there depending on mm. what my champion is with certain kinds of decks and I've really liked that um I do also really like the charms but I agree with not going to charms early. Um, I'm very follower driven and trying to get them out on board. It also depends on kind of which of them we'll talk about the different factions uh, of the three factions, but it depends on which kind of faction I'm leaning towards as well. Um, I've, I think if you're going to go, there's one faction in particular where you can summon a lot more things on board and maybe followers aren't as important um, to be able to have just because you you'll need the board space you be able to play those cards otherwise they're dead cards in your hand. Um but
0: tell us tell us about the factions. As we're getting sure. into that. Why don't you tell us about the factions cuz I do think that's important uh because I mean it's you you're going to get three options in the beginning and they could come from a variety of three different factions.
2: Yeah, I'll go ahead and just run through the different uh factions that they've got in the game that we that you can choose from eventually. You start out with just the snow dwellers uh which you you're in the town of snowdwell. So these are all essentially companions and champions and, and followers and things like that that live in this town um they have a lot of damage and other intricacies from hand that you can play or effects on them um like the snow the shrooms that basically you, you end up poisoning an, an opponent you give them three shrooms and then at the end of the turn it does three damage to them the Shroom yeah. goes from three to two the next turn at the end of the turn they'll take two damage so it's it's damage over time and then spice which builds up on your allies and is additional damage on top of whatever the the base damage is that each character deals so snow dwellers are, are pretty flexible and they've got a lot of different mechanics to be able to buff or debuff from hand and deal kind of direct damage from hand that's one of the best things about the snow dwellers the shade mancers you get as your second faction um they summon spirits absorb attacks kind of sacrifice um some of their your allies to be able to summon other allies that are kind of behind a shell or for bonuses to the rest of your board um so they are ones where maybe go as you're going through a run it's maybe not as important to break the ice and get additional followers as much because you can summon almost as an item as a card from hand you can use the cards in your hand to summon something onto on the board similar to what you would see as a follower so They've got a kind of a lot of sacrificial aspects of it. It's 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 a give and take with them. Um, you may not have a lot of tempo early, but you can end up building into that depending on what you end up putting on the board. Yep. And then the last one you get is the Clunk Masters. Uh, they are hailed as the Lost Tribe of the Gnomes and their their art style and the, and the characters themselves definitely embody that with their acorn helmets and having a lot of shielding and things like that. Um you are get introduced to a new mechanic with the clunk masters of junk um so some of the cards that you have in your hand uh from items or from the followers and companions that you that you put into your deck create junk and just as it sounds junk does nothing but you can turn that junk by recycling it into other things um using cards to create machines or more powerful effects or some of your followers say if you play a junk to it almost as if they were tinkerers and inventors, they can turn that junk into something like an extra attack or like shielding. So junk can be important and can be good, but you need to really stru- structure your deck around it properly in order to make use of it. Um, and, you can create I other machines and weaponry.
0: I think something that's important, and I'm just saying this because I 100% missed it, is that all of the sort of contraptions that are made have a scrap rating and that scrap rating might be a one, two, three, whatever point is is it doesn't matter how much damage that scrap goes hits it goes down one scrap so you get hit for 500 points of damage and it's going to drop one scrap point one scrap point one scrap point versus having a health pool like everything else in the game your allies and your main character that scrapping allows you to chump block a little bit easier Mm -hmm. um in a very similar way to the way that the shades allow you to chump block a little bit easier which i think is a really interesting dynamic. Gibby, do you have one that you like really liked? Was there one that was just like, oh man, yeah, I really enjoyed that. The, like this faction, that's been your favorite one to play so far?
2: Sure, and I, and I definitely think most people going through the game will find that they overwhelmingly have a faction that they prefer over other ones. I mean, the playstyles in them are so different, all viable, but so different. I have played... I played, a, I, just because it's the beginning faction, I played a lot of the Snow Dwellers mm. and, until I locked the other ones. And then I had a lot of losing runs and, and kind of weird runs with playing the, um, the Shade and the and the Clunk yeah. Masters. I think my favorite is becoming the Shade Masters. Mm. I like the sacrificial component of it and being able to put things on board early. I think it is easy to brick a run with the Shade Masters, I think it, I think they have some very low end power cards, but they've also got some very high end power cards. They are very risk and reward. You can end up building an absolutely phenomenal deck with the Shade Mancers and finding some really powerful cards. Like I think one of my favorite cards in the Shade Masters is the Egg. The egg. Oh,
0: egg is very good. Egg yes. is
2: very good. So it's a it's a it's a card you put out um, on the board where it creates an eight power zero attack egg. So it eats a lot of attacks incoming, but then once the egg is destroyed, it hatches into a very powerful, I think it's like a uh, countdown five, uh, but it, it does like three anywhere between three to five damage. I can't remember what the damage number is, but it attacks for three times frenzy. Like it's it's a good card. There so you can go. end up putting out a lot of damage mid battle once you've developed the rest of your board or cleared some smaller guys with directly direct cards from hand. So... I think the Shade Manses are becoming my favorite. However, I have grown to love the Snow Dweller faction because of the snow and the shrooms. And I think the snow mechanic is one of the most useful and most powerful aspects to, um, to having your deck. I think it is very easy to get a good understanding and build something powerful in a lot of different branches with the Snow Dwellers. I'm still yet to learn to master the clunk masters. Um, Not to say that you, that they aren't powerful. I have, I need to spend some more time in that faction playing it to, I think to really get a hang on what the strategy is behind building it. So um, Mark for you, what do you think uh, you've, you've enjoyed playing the most?
0: Uh, well, uh, first off, I would completely agree with you. I I played a lot of the Snow Dwellers in the beginning, you know, partially because that is the faction that they they give you right at the start, you know, um, but also partially because I liked the tankiness. There's a lot of tankiness in the Snow Dwellers that I really, really did enjoy. I thought that it was, uh, I thought that it was fun and intriguing to play. The like, I got a couple that were like they have like the knockback ability or something, right? Like when you take oh, damage. Back. Yeah, smack back. Like, and the smack back on some of like, the tankier uh guys that like you just want them to get hit so they take the damage back, I found to be super, super fun. I really, really enjoyed that about Snow Dwellers. The shades have been my favorite, and I cannot... Uh, that's the one that I beat it with, and I really like the sacrifice. Uh, I have a run going where I'm playing a... Uh, it has like the chicken. It looks like a chicken, but every time it dies, it's like a hydra that comes back with another head. And you keep sac. you have to sacrifice it. But every time you sacrifice it, it comes back with two more health, two more power, two more health, two more power, two more health, two more power. And it's time consuming, but it's really fun. Um, and I found that like getting that out or getting the egg out with the crown early, just to give yourself a chump locker that becomes something more powerful that you actually want to throw in front of your opponent's early mm-hmm. board is really fun. Um, and I have found it to be really enjoyable. So that's the one that I've played that I've enjoyed the most was sort of the sacrificing. It has some synergy. There's this big cat with Fury 2 and 5 attack, but he only ever triggers whenever you sacrifice one of your own guys, and he's not easy to get to work, but if you get the right combination of sacrifice, what's interesting is if you target your own stuff, it doesn't have to say sacrifice, you just have to kill it. So if you play uh, the egg on the board, for example, when it's down to two health, you can target the egg with, say, your Tar Blade and kill your egg, and that counts as sacrificing it, even though the card doesn't read "sacrifice something." That's so, a good
2: nuance to know. I didn't know that.
0: They told me that in game, so like uh, on stream, it's so like I learned a little. That has helped me with the sacrifice and has made those faction work a lot more. I found the gnomes to not be easy. I found I have found the gnomes to be really, really difficult to make work, and so I haven't been able to get as much success with the gnomes and uh i we lost dbn at some point in here so uh like in the in the middle of our conversation about factions he got like a work call or something it looks like maybe he had the maybe he had to bolt part way through the episode today um but was there anything else uh gibby that you felt like you really wanted to highlight in terms of like the bones of this game i feel like we've covered all the stuff that you get a lot of the cards you get you did a really great job of covering the factions what to expect from each action as you play. Mm-hmm. What are the other things that we're missing uh in this episode that covers like the basics of the game?
2: Um I would say there is a little bit of memory to know about your um there's always a little bit of memory to know about the opponents that you're going to you're going to end up against. You will mm-hmm. end up seeing the more runs you do, you'll end up seeing more familiar bosses and and patterns. Similar to what I said, I didn't necessarily like as much about Slay the Spire, or it was a core element of a game like that. But there is some of that in here because there are a limited number of different uh, bosses and runs that you'll end up going up against. And I'm sure that's something that the developer team will end up adding to is the different opponents that you can end up running up against in a run. But um, I would encourage everybody, as you go through runs, you're going to unlock new things in the town and don't be afraid to just spend some time in the town and get familiar with some of the quests because i think one of the most fun things that i'm now kind of getting to is building runs around certain quests to try and unlock them Mm -hmm. and they're almost like little new nuanced challenges to be able to do and i think this game does a very good job of being transparent about maybe some of the achievables and unlockables that you can get by doing certain challenges. At the hometown of Snowdwell, so take a stop whenever you you'll eventually unlock new places like the hot springs, for example, or the workshop. You'll you'll you can stop in there and see what you have to accomplish to unlock the next thing. So be familiar with those things as you um, as you go into a run because you may get the opportunity where there is some synergy within your your deck that you can work towards trying to accomplish one of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. DBM, we just spent some time talking through uh the, sort of like the different factions and uh mm. just having a conversation about what ones we like the most. For you, what was the faction that that you have liked the most out of the out of the three in the game?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I've had the most success with the first faction. Um, I don't remember what they're called. Snow dwellers. You have the snow dwellers,
2: like. the shade mancers, yeah. and the clunk masters.
1: Yeah, I've had the most success with the Snow Dwellers, Um, not just because you sort of start the game with them, but because I think they have the most versatile kits. So you have a lot of bulky, you know, frontline characters like, um, you know, uh, Colonel and uh you know some some of those those fellas with the with the shielding components uh you also have the stalling and uh, manipulation of the enemy attacks with the snow now everybody has a little bit of snow but the most of most of it is coming out of the snow dwellers um i think that i had one run that i'm very like irked because i think i was gonna I th- i think it was unstoppable if i hadn't screwed it up uh, like only I could have screwed up this run for myself, which was a clunkmaster uh run where I had this uh this guy mini mini Mika or something like that.
2: Okay.
1: Uh that you basically you can instead of like using junk for um the really high powered contraptions that consume it, um you give Mika the junk as an action and it gives it an additional fury. And so over the course of the game, you're looking for opportunities to just put junk on uh mini i think it's mika i don't i'm not a hundred percent uh to give it to right. this to mini me i'm gonna say mini me from now on
0: <laughs> it's, uh it's, it's, new, it's new name
1: and uh and you build it up so that it like it would get to the point where like it's attacking seven times or something like that and just crushing literally everything that doesn't have uh the this uh smackback or the uh thorns or whatever it's called, the you know, teeth or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um but <laughs> I once again got overconfident, started multitasking and uh and didn't rearrange my board correctly and and uh I lost on the not the final um you know not the final final boss but like one of the last encounters before the boss at the final boss. And it was very disheartening. The The thing about it is, is that like, I think you've got three very different playstyles. the shade binders, shade Mancers, whatever. They're my mm-hmm. favorite for sure. They are the coolest. I love the ability to just get extra units on the board from effects like temporary units. I like the, uh, sort of consuming my own guys to power my other guys up. I have lost two runs that probably also should have been one because I didn't rearrange people enough for the, um, for the hungry, hungry, hungry hippo guy that will eat everyone in your row. oh yes. uh, That's a bummer uh, because he's my favorite card in the game, but I keep accidentally eating my leader. Um, you would think it'd be easy to not eat your own leader. And yet, I've done it twice now. Uh, I I just need to actually sit and play the game just focusing on the game at all times.
0: It takes an alarming <laughs> amount of concentration to play this game. There's yep. absolutely no doubt about that. Like, this is this is not the app. Yep. Like, I'm able to sit in the airport or on a plane or anywhere and pull up Slay the Spire and play some rounds and feel like I can be pretty efficient. And occasionally, I will make a misplay. But typically, yep. I don't make a misplay. That is not the case in this game if i i cannot make a misplay in round one but pretty much after that if i'm focused on anything you know, else i will misplay Guaranteed.
1: the thing is i think that it's actually harder than slay the spire it's just not as exhausting
0: oh it's way harder is that this game is way harder than slay the spire
1: i you know and i'm sure at like certain levels of slay the spire there's like it, it'll like peak into difficulty but the thing is is that like i i actually just Think this game is harder and i'm i'm happy i love it you know um slay the spire is interesting where when we talked about it a, a while back um i i beat it pretty quick at least i i say I, I completed the initial run with all the characters pretty quick and it was like ah, i don't know what else do i do with it it didn't sit with me long enough for me to fall in love with it if that makes sense um
0: no, i i think it did um I think that does make sense. I, I'm just looking like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 15. Like between a boss, there's like 15 mm-hmm. encounters in Slayer yeah. Aspire. Whereas Not 15 fights,
1: but 15 in, encounters. Encounters,
0: but it could be 15 fights because you can, well, it might be like 13 fights. I think there's a couple that force you to take treasure chests. But for the most part, like you can fight every round if you so desired. And in this game, that is not the case. There's like one. Oh, order. you're talking
1: about Slay. Slay. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Slay.
0: In this, right. Slay, that's all of those fights. In this one, there's only a couple of fights between each boss. But they're like, tough. Oh, they're very hard. Yeah. Except for the first one. And I've lost on the first one before. So, oh, me too. Yeah. Well,
1: I've managed not to do that so far, but.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've lost on the first one. Let me tell you. I've
1: man, almost lost on it. Here's something
0: fair. that you do not pick up whenever you choose your leader. Any leader that has the word aimless written on them. That is not huh. that is not your leader. No, that's the wrong leader. <laughs> do not pick that up. <laughs> that's a. Now
1: falling. I'm gonna do it.
0: Fury, yes. Snow, yes. My, Poison, okay, let's yes. do
1: this real fast. Uh, what is everyone's favorite um, leader that they've either picked up or built?
0: Ooh, uh, I can I can answer that. So I think my favorite leader is there's a snow dweller that has I think it's three attack and fury two. And whenever mm-hmm. it hits, it gives another random ally uh, two hot peppers. Um, I've got a run
2: currently going with that one.
0: Okay, that one's awesome. And so I combined that with another guy. It's like a 1-1 one, one, that when it dies, it gives a random ally Fury one. And, mm. so, and I started with those two. And the third card that I had that started was the little fox guy that starts with Fury three. So what would happen is I would put those three out first guy would die and i would either get two fury three guys fury three leader and a fury three uh fox man or i would get a fury two leader and a fury four fox man and then every time my leader would go off it would just You'd
1: get chili peppers
0: it would chili pepper onto my fury three or fury four ally and he would i, I mean i had him hit like in one round for, like 85 points of damage just like thump 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 because i i've got all the yeah. chili pepper stuff and just like dumped it on him mm-hmm. for like these really big burst turns I like that one. Uh, the other one that I really enjoyed leader wise uh, was I just had a guy that was super chunky with like the, mm-hmm. the, the slapback mechanic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that was all that he had, like six attack, could never attack, just slap back or whatever. And uh, I got like the charms on them that gave him bonus health and bonus armor. And then I got uh, the ally that every time he takes damage, he gives armor to the one behind him and so i would buff uh, a
1: colonel colonel
0: i would buff the crap out of colonel and right before colonel would die i would pull him off and heal him and i would have a guy sitting there with like 25 acorns and 15 health that's knocking back for like six to Mm -hmm. eight and he would and everyone would just punch him and he would like smack dead smack dead smack dead that was really fun as well
1: i think i think colonel has is maybe the best companion in the game um at least uh, top tier and because it innate there's a lot of cards that say when i get hit there's a cool effect but they don't always have enough health at the later stages of the game for that to be like capable and he's able to sit there and give them enough shield that they can start you know giving everyone chili peppers or giving everyone or boosting up their own um you know fungus ability i think
2: fungin does that so anyways mm. uh gibby what is your favorite leader mm. you've built Favorite leader I've built is I went with a shroom build on one of mine. Mm-hmm. And it was a leader who had I think it was like long shot or whatever it is. Um, and mm-hmm. he had a he had a low cooldown and applied three shrooms on long shot. So I was able to control the board a bit better by utilizing my general to clear out some things from the back over a couple of turns and I also was able to use the snow mechanic knowing exactly when something would reliably die because of the, the shrooms that were on somebody in the back and I I was able to preserve a lot of my front line because of that taking minimal damage on the front knowing that I could take care of whatever was back there as long as I took care of my front if that made sense like I was able to, it made it a little bit it was a run where I felt very in control of my own board and regardless mm. of what came out because they like to put a lot of glass cannon shallow health pool but big attack or just attacks often uh guys in the back and put some of the big bosses up front to make sure like to make, make sure that they're protected but i can take care of that so like it was able to do, i was able to do with the bosses better because i was able to mitigate some of the backline that i typically wouldn't be able to get to or have to burn a lot of turns on with items from my hand to be able to get to. So I liked uh, I like a lot of the stuff that's a long shot as well.
0: Oh, that's cool. DBN, how about yours? What was your favorite that you made?
1: Very, very simple. And I felt very excited about This is my favorite run. This is the run that I beat the first Frost Guardian with, so I'm terrified to have to try to kill it. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yes, spoiler alert.
1: Because, so what it does is, or what it did is that... um, It was one of the Snow Dwellers that says whenever I kill a unit, I get plus one attack for the rest of the battle. Very simple. And it starts pretty low at only like two attack. So it doesn't hit very hard at first. However, uh, throughout the course of the run, I was able to give it um, smack back and I was able to give it fury with the, um, the pot that uh there's one of the cards that's like a consume so once per battle hmm. you you give it uh one extra countdown but you give it fury and um fury goes off with smackback so um what was really neat is the ability to um i i was able to give the crown to that pot and then um start the game i think colonel might have been there too but basically start the game where Anytime I would see a weak creature about to hit somebody, I would move my leader to go take that hit and then hit back kill. So I was always positioning my leader so that it would get the kills on everything else. And over time, you know, through the charms because of the smackback charm, the fury charm, and eventually just anything else I could get, I was able to set up these boards where like it and one other big attacker that I had, um, would I would start the game, I would get one of the cards that gives them, uh, like, a barrage, gives them uh plus two damage or something, and then consumed, and then I would give that Fury one, and so, like, I'd start the game with the guy at, like, five attack or something along those lines, with smack back, and it keeps growing every time it kills something, and by the end of a round, it would be sitting at, like, 15, 16 attack, Double smacking,
0: um, just double <laughs>
1: smacking anything that hit it or anytime it counted down. It was very fun. Um, smack, really smack. enjoyable smack. character to build around. You hit yeah. me, I smack, smack
0: you in the face, twice Front hand, both hands, hands. You front get hand, both hands. hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it was not a blast. Like that. It's a legitimately hilarious image. Uh, like yes. it's a hilarious mental image of this snow dweller Eskimo just double smacking everybody who attacks it. Um, I love that. There's a lot of really cool factions and a lot of really cool stuff to explore in this game. So if you're getting into it and you played a couple of runs and you feel like, like, ah, eh, maybe this game isn't for me, give it a couple more tries, unlock the three factions and definitely check those out. Unlock some of those locations that you may have not unlocked as well. Cause those are well worth the time unlocking because they add a whole new variety, especially the further you go up next episode. We're going to talk about some specific fights and I don't want to get too deep into the boss fights, but I do want to spend some time talking about a couple of like the key fights towards the end that maybe give people a lot of problems because they're giving me a lot of problems. And I would love to know some of your guys strategy on fights like, Oh, here's a whole bunch of minotaurs that hit for seven aimlessly, or here's a bunch of crabs, hermit crabs, idiot hermit crabs uh, that make you attack your own people. Um, Or uh, there's a lot of really dangerous stuff sort of towards the end we're going to break down some of the specific fights and how we've overcome those and, uh, and chat about what makes those hard and what makes them really smart, too. Uh, they've just done a lot of really smart stuff in this game, to be honest, uh, that seems like it doesn't feel like it's imbalanced. It just feels genuinely difficult, and I think that is a really refreshing feeling for a game. For something to feel hard but not unbalanced is just very uh, different. Very different for a card game. But that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. Let us know if you picked up your copy of Wild Frost and if you've been playing it and enjoying it. We would love to chat with you uh, about that a little bit and hear about what your journey has been like in the world of Wild Frost as well. Um, That's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legends Cast. You can join our podcast community by joining Discord using the link in the description of this episode. You can become a supporter of the show by visiting Patreon.com/slash Camp Legend, and don't forget to check out all of the other shows in the Camp Legend podcast network.